really excited to sing that third song, Peace to You, My Soul. I helped Chris to write that song. Um, some of you heard me talk about that a while back. I did write one word in that song, so really should thank Chris for sharing that with us. So appreciate his gifts that God has given us there. Um, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It's page 978 in the Black Bibles that you'll find under your chairs. If you want to follow along there, we'll, we'll read it together. And we're continuing through this series in Ephesians called A New Identity, where we've kind of come back again and again to the idea that God has to give us our identity, that we don't live out of an identity based on whatever failure uh, just happened in our life, whatever painful memories we're still struggling with from childhood, or, or even whatever success we're experiencing right now. Ultimately, those things don't identify us. Those things don't name us, but God names us. God identifies us. God is the one who tells us who we really are. And the biblical story is one that we have fallen, that we have failed, but God has entered into the story, redirected us, rescued us, saved us, given us life through Jesus. Jesus taking our sin upon himself, Jesus giving us his resurrection life. So that's the story, and that's the identity that now we're supposed to live out of. That's what we're supposed to live from now. We've seen the last couple of weeks, the first verse of uh, chapter 5 telling us we're we're dearly loved children. We are dearly loved children. We're adopted into his family. And more and more, week after week now, as we finish up Ephesians, we're going to look at what does it mean then to have a family resemblance? What does it mean to imitate our God, our Father? What does it mean to walk in his ways, to live in this new way? So this week it's called Walk Carefully. Walk carefully, you'll see why in the text. Um, there's this idea we saw last week that we are light. There's this uh, kind of gathering up of all these different prophecies in Isaiah uh, that Paul talks about. At the end of last week's section, we saw in verse 14, said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. It's the idea that we are to be light. The world's a dark place, but we're to bring light into that darkness. As Christ, the true light, fills us, we're to share that light then with other people. And then now he goes on and and the metaphor kind of shifts and he's saying, okay, now because it's dark, watch your step. Look look carefully how you walk. Walk carefully. Walk in this new way. Walk out of your new identity, but but be careful. Pay attention. Be easy to trip. It'd be easy to fall in this kind of world. So read with me. We'll start in verse 15. Ephesians 5.15 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what it looks like to walk in this new way, to walk carefully, uh, to live out our new identity. Let me pray for us, and we'll look at this in more detail together. God, we ask that you would teach us this morning. We pray that you would speak to us. We thank you that you've given us your word and and ask that you would open our our eyes, our hearts, so that we would receive it, that your spirit would come here and, and meet us here and apply it. God, help us to walk in this new way. Help us to believe, really, that we are dearly loved children that you're transforming us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had, the, had this experience where you're walking 
in a place where it's in the dark and you don't really know where you're going. Maybe, maybe like in your own home or a lot of you, you know, move. This is a, a place where a lot of people move in and out. Uh, you knew where everything was in your old home and you're getting up in the middle of the night to check a strange noise or maybe just to go to the bathroom and you're walking through and, and you know where everything is, right? And so you can just walk through the house in the dark. But then you move to a new place or maybe, you know, maybe someone just moves a chair or there's a, a shoe in the way or something and, and all of a sudden you're tripping up, right? Have you ever had that experience before? We think you know where you're going, but then, then you're in trouble. The worst is, people always like to joke, like the worst is you're walking barefoot through your house and there's a Lego on the floor, right? That is exactly, that's the absolute worst, is the little sharp Lego piece that like cuts into your foot. Um, the, the text here describes that walking in our new identity is, is going to be somewhat like that, right? Like we're walking in the dark and so we've got to watch our step. We have to be careful, we have to pay attention, we have to be alert, we have to really be engaged to walk well. And so there's kind of two sides of that. One is the idea that we can do this, right? Like God says, you're my children and I love you and you can do this. You can walk with me. But then Paul's saying, but be careful, right? Walk carefully, pay attention, watch your step. You can get hurt. It's it's a rough world. There are real problems. And so I want to kind of try to unpack this as we look through the, the different aspects of it. He just really, he layers Uh, just uh, view upon view upon view of what this looks like, right? He just kind of layers one thing on another in this passage, really multiple views of the same thing, of this walking carefully, walking out of our new identity, being faithful children of God. What does this look like? The first thing that he shows us is that it looks like redeeming the time, okay? Walking carefully, paying attention to where we're going in life looks like redeeming the time. Look at verse 15 with me again. It's the first verse of our section today. says, look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise and then in verse 16 he says making the best use of the time because the days are evil other translations will say buying back the time or redeeming the time it's this idea literally of buying something and it connects with the new testament concept of redemption right redemption is buying someone's freedom or buying something's freedom, right? Like you could redeem something from a store by buying it, setting it free, then it's yours. Or you can redeem a slave or someone that's a prisoner, right? You pay something, it costs to you, you can redeem them and give them freedom. And what's really interesting here is he says this, redeem or buy back or or make the best use of the time. So buy back the time, make the best use of the time. And then he says, why? Look at the end of verse 16. Because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. Right? Like we have to start there. We, we don't live in heaven yet. And, and so following Christ doesn't mean if you give your life to Christ or if you trust him, everything's just going to be like poof, perfect. Right? That, that's, that's what we're told sometimes. We're, we're told if, if you give enough or if you have enough faith, everything's going to be cured. Everything's going to be better. And really, biblically, that's a future state that we look forward to. It's called heaven, where Jesus says, I'm coming back. I'm going to make things right. There will be no more crying, no more pain, and that is going to happen. Trust me. Trust me that I've purchased your future. Trust me that I've reconciled you to God. And then Paul says, in in this time, the time between the times, the time between Jesus saving us and Jesus coming back to fix everything for good, we have to walk carefully. We have to be careful because the days are evil. So Paul says this looks specifically like redeeming the time, making the best use of the time, 
really paying attention to what you do with your time, right? So the days are evil. We live in a broken world. You're hurt. I'm hurt. We, we hurt each other. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to retreat? Or are the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit living in us, going to propel us out to, to make a difference in the world? Abraham Kuyper is kind of an intellectual from previous generation in, in Amsterdam. He was a philosopher and a politician and a preacher, and he wrote a lot. He was giving lectures on the kind of the Reformation theology that came out of the Calvinist movement during the Reformation, and he describes it as this. He says, Instead of a monastic flight from the world, the duty is now emphasized of serving God in the world in every position of life. He's saying what happened is not a, a fearfulness of worldliness, but a pro- propelling us out into the world, right? To, to, to make it better. Like, like that's our job. We, we want to imitate what God has done with us, right? God has entered into our world. He died for us. He redeemed us. He bought us back from our slavery to sin. And we want to imitate that in how we live out our Christian life. We want to leave the comforts of, of whatever peace, uh, safety, whatever castle we think we live in, right? We don't want to just huddle in the church and in this building and, and hide from the evil days out there, the difficulty out there in the world, but we want to be propelled out to make a difference. We want to make the best use of our time, our resources, the opportunities that we have out in the world. So when we think about this concept of redemption, like I said, it it can be buying something back. Literally, the Greek word here is for buying something back, and it ties in with the idea of redemption, which is used again and again of what Jesus did for us. He bought us out of slavery. I wanted to give you a picture here of a slave. Y'all may have seen the the movie Ben-Hur, right? Anybody seen Ben-Hur? So here he is. He's a slave in a galley ship. And so a first century person, when they hear this uh, word for buying back, or they hear, hear the word for redeem, they would think very quickly, almost immediately, of, of slavery as one of the contexts, right? Someone being in slavery, being bought back and given their freedom. A secondary use of these words would, would be for an object as well. Like if you have something in a pawn shop and you're buying it back, right, then you're, you're freeing it from where it is so it can now be used for better purposes. That would be the immediate thought when someone reads this. And so then what Paul does is he applies that to the time, right? So the days are evil. The time we live in is, is a messed up time. We live in a messed up world. And that's, that can be confusing for us sometimes, right? Because we live in the richest country in the world. Even though the economy is bad right now, we still live in the richest country in the world. We still have better comforts and nicer things than any, any people in, in the history of the world, right? We live like the kings of 100 years ago. Y'all ever watch Downton Abbey? Anybody watch that show? Right? You see how these rich people live? Like, we live better than they do, right? And it's just bizarre. We, we have nicer things. We have all these luxuries at our fingertips, even the poorest of us in this context. And so we can be confused about the reality, right? That can put a veil over our eyes so that we don't really recognize how broken things really are because we may be the richest people ever. We may have more things than people have ever had, but we're not happy. Right? That doesn't make us love each other better. It doesn't make, make us stand for justice. I mean, there's still all this brokenness in the world. And so Paul says, recognize the days are evil and then spend yourself to buy back the time. Redeem the time. That's part of what it means to walk with Christ. So the first thing I want us to think about, so how do we apply this? What, what do we do in, in real life? How does this work? How do we flesh this out as we walk with him? First thing is, I, I think you just need to think about the term redeem. It's going to cost you something, Right? 
to follow Christ, to walk with him is going to cost you something. If you're going to redeem the time, if you're going to buy back the time, it cost Christ everything to save us. And if we were to imitate him, right? We saw a few verses earlier, the beginning of chapter 5. We're to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. If we're to imitate him and his buying back of us, if we're going to buy back the time, if we're going to make the best use of the time, if we're going to redeem the time, it's going to cost us something. So are we willing to spend our comfort for the sake of others? Are, are we willing to make sacrifices to love others the way he loved us? And I think the only way that we're going to be able to do that is if we think he really loves us, right? Like if you think he's holding out on you, you're not going to be willing to spend anything for him because you're going to think, I need to, I need to pile up my own resources because nobody loves me but me. I've got to take care of myself. If you know that he loves you, that's going to give you this kind of reckless abandon where you're going to be able to spend yourself. You're going to be able to spend your resources to buy back the time, to redeem the time, to make the most use of it. And not just see, my calendar is, is all about making me happier and making me richer, right? Because that's, that's a typical way we think about it in our culture. That's what my calendar is for. My calendar is for me. My calendar is for enriching me. It's for buying more for me. Paul says the days are evil, so buy back the time. Redeem the time. Make the most use of your time. I think the other lens here to think about is, is just the time lens. He's saying, think about it. He uses this word, the days. He uses this word, time. It's this general idea of kind of era, the time in which you live, kairos. It's this, what are you going to do with the era in which you live? So think about that. Like, what's, what's your calendar? What's your plan? My uh, oldest daughter now, she's in high school, so we have a couple of years left with her in the house, theoretically. We've encouraged her. You can, you can stay longer, right? But we've got to be ready to launch her in a couple of years, right? We don't have much time yet. That's the era in which we live. Do, do you know where you live? Do you know the times in which you live? What are you going to do at the time? Like, my wife and I were talking about that. We're praying about that. What are we, how are we going to love her well and get her ready to be launched? What are you doing with your time? What's the, where's the, what's the phase God has you in right now? What's the phase he has you in? For, for a lot of us, and uh, I'm not just saying this because there's a crying baby, but for a lot of us, we're in this young baby phase, right? A, a lot of us, this is one of the things I tell my friends. We have, you know, I have these younger friends that have little babies. Mine are teenagers now. Like, that's a time you live in, and it's, it's a hard time, right? You can raise your hand, right, if you have babies. It's, it's hard. You don't sleep at night. I, I understand. It's a difficult time, but know that it's a phase that you're in. How are you going to make the most of that time? Whatever your calling is, whatever phase of life you're in, if your kids are teenagers like, like ours, that means they like to talk late at night, right? So we have to make the use of that. Like I have to just stay up sometimes longer than I want to to, to talk to them, to have these good conversations. Where, where are you now? The, the Bible talks about singleness. I know in the Christian church, a lot, of, a lot of times we make much of family. We almost worship family, right? God may have you your calling may be singleness. And Paul says, you, you have all these great resources to share and to serve other people. What, what is the calling that God has on your life? What's the season that you live in? What's the time that he has you in now? And are you going to make the best use of that time? Think about your calendar. Think about how you plan out your week. How are you planning out your week? How are you going to use it for God's glory? How are you going to use it to bless others? And then finally, just do you even recognize that the times are evil? Do you recognize that? Do you see that, yeah, we kind of live in a carnival and we have things pretty good, but, but we're still not really happy. We're still not really whole. But the days are evil. That's the biblical worldview. But there's something very wrong with the world. 
We were driving in this morning. The sunrise was coming up. It was gorgeous, right? When you walk out and see the stars on these clear days, these kind of in-between, it's not really winter and it's not really spring, we have these gorgeous days. We sat out in the sunshine yesterday just soaking up the sun. It's gorgeous. We live in this world that is so beautiful. And then the next day there can be a natural disaster and people die. We live in this time where things are glorious, they're beautiful, but they're still ruined. They're still broken. Romans says that creation is longing and aching for the sons of God to be revealed. We live in a world where things are glorious and things are broken. We see that in our own lives. We have this incredible potential. We can love each other so well and we let each other down so often. Do you recognize that we haven't made it there yet? That the days are evil, that there's something wrong with us and we need a God who's entering into our story to fix us. Well, if we see that and we see our part to play in it, then we're going to make the best use of the time and the resources and the places that he's put us. One of the things I love to remind people of here in Colleen, Texas, is that this is a calling, right? God's called you here. I've, I've joked again, you know, before a lot of army wives, when they hear they're coming to Fort Hood, they, they cry. That's their first reaction. And, and I want to encourage you that God has great things for you here. Like God's called you here. You're here now. Redeem the time. Redeem the time. Use it for him. Spend yourself for his glory. He's got you here right now. He wants you here. And he can do great things with you here. The, the next thing that we see as we move through the text in verse 17 is that we're to walk with understanding. So back in 15 and 16, he had this kind of contrast of walk wisely, right? So he's layering all these different ideas here. Walk wisely, not unwisely. And then here he says it, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So are you walking with understanding? Do you understand his will? Do you know what he wants you to do? And so we can start with big categories. I'm kind of a categorical thinker, so that's where I like to start. I like to start with the category, right? And so big, big kind of big bucket of what God wants us to do is to glorify him, right? Have you all ever heard that before? If you've ever been around Christian people or church people, you've probably heard that. It's pretty common in uh, the history of theology, we talk about God is about the glory of his own name, right? Because God is good, and the more we give weight to him and give honor to him, the more joy we actually find. The Westminster Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So theologically, that's a big category. It's a great place to start, right? Uh, the youth just had a retreat in January, and so my kids came home with these cool t-shirts that they did for the retreat, and it says resolved. And it's got one of Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. Uh, He was a famous theologian in early America, and he says it this way. I have to read it because he talks, you know, funny the way they talked back then. It says, resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory, whatever difficulties I meet with, however so many and so great. So this idea I was just talking about in redemption, that it's going to cost us something. Edwards is saying, I've resolved to glorify God, even if it costs me something, even if it hurts, even if I face difficulties. So I'd say if we want to start with a general category, that, that's God's will that we would glorify him, right? At whatever cost it takes. But that's still kind of a big, that's kind of a big category, right? I mean, even for me, I'm a categorical thinker, but that's almost too big. How do we do that day to day? And again and again, the scripture tells us that we find how to do that in the scripture. Again and again, we're told that God hasn't left us without direction, Right? He loves us, and he's given himself to save us, and he's given us his word to guide us. He gives us his direction. We see that throughout Proverbs and the Psalms, and of course, throughout the whole scripture. 
this idea of God's direction. The word, the Old Testament word for law literally means direction, right? He hasn't left us without instructions. He's not like just, all right, go figure it out. No, he, he tells us what to do. There's this picture I want to give you here. Here's an aerial picture of trees planted by water in an arid place, right? So this is a desert, I think maybe New Mexico or something. And I thought this is a great picture because this is similar to our environment, and it's also similar then to the environment in Israel, right? A kind of a semi-arid, it's not a full-blown desert here, but we don't really have trees, right? Those of you that are from other places with trees, you kind of miss that sometimes, right? Um, I've been to those places. It's kind of cool. I grew up here, so sadly, this is normal to me. But you'll kind of see, if the, the uh, resolution's not really good on the picture here, but you can kind of see this trail of trees winding across uh, a grassy plain. So there's just small bushes and grass on the sides, but there's trees along the river, right? Because the, the trees need water to grow. So if you live in a place like this, or if you lived in a place like ancient Israel, you would understand that a tree that's planted by the water grows differently than a tree that's planted out in the middle of the desert, Right? You have to water the tree. So for those of you that uh, have just moved into one of those new neighborhoods, you know where they put up 100 houses all at once and there's no trees, you have to water the trees if you want them to grow. Just a little tip for this climate here. You're going to have to water them. You're going to spend some money on the water so that they will grow. Or you plant them by a river. And the analogy in Scripture is always that that's God's word. So if if you want to be a healthy tree, you and your life, you want to be healthy, if you want to understand what God's will is and be fruitful and be healthy, you have to plant your roots into God's word. You have to drink up God's word like, like water. So we get that picture in Psalm 1 and all throughout Psalm 119, this huge psalm. And in uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, talks about trusting in the Lord with all your heart and leaning not on your own understanding. And then he'll guide you. We have all these different pictures where it says, tap into his word. And he'll, he'll direct you. He'll, he'll show you what to do. He'll help you to grow. So we got this big idea, glorify God. Understand his will. His will is, is for him to be glorified. The way Piper says it, that God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. And so it's this idea that we will actually find joy as, as he is lifted up, right? But on a day-to-day basis, that looks like then turning to him. So the way we glorify him is saying, I don't know, God, what, what you say. And we turn to his word and we try to understand what he has to say to us. So the first thing I would say about this is, first of all, you have to believe who he is. You have to believe it at just the most simple level. Do you believe that God loves you? That he's a saving God? That he forgives us for our sin and he wants to rescue us and bring us back into his family? You have to believe that first. You see, if, if you go to the scriptures for direction before you understand that about God, then you'll turn into what is described in the New Testament as a Pharisee. You'll become kind of a religious jerk that thinks you're better than other people because you've figured out how to live, but you really don't know the heart of God, that he's a loving and gracious God. And we don't need any more of those, so please don't do that, okay? Um, we need to start with understanding that we're, we're all sinners, we're all broken, and he loves us. And when you understand that he loves you, then you're going to come to the scriptures from a different standpoint. Then you're to come to them eager, right? Eager because you want to know what he has to say to you because you see him as a daddy that loves you, and you think, man, he... He probably knows better than I do, and I want to understand what he has to say to me. Rather than coming to the Scriptures with this kind of dutiful, well, I don't really trust him, but I better read what he has to say so I can impress the other religious people around me, right? I mean, that's, that is the wrong way. Don't, don't read it if you're reading it that way. Stop and, and pray and ask God to give you a new view of who he is. So, first of all, understand 
who God is, then work to understand what he has to say. And then finally, I would say, start living it out. One of the biggest dangers of a Bible church, right? We're, we're called a Bible church, and in our tradition, we, we promote this book a lot, right? That's why we put it in our name, Bible church. Um, we promote this a lot, and a lot of times what can happen is you study it, but you're not really doing it. That's going to stunt your growth, too. If you're not living it out, then things are going to go bad. Things just aren't going to work right in your life. So if you really want to understand his will, don't just understand it in your head. Understand it by practicing Right? Like he tells you something, then, then go do it. Be one of those kind of weird people that actually does what he says. And you'll understand him more and more. You'll start to understand who he is. The, the last thing that we see is that we have to walk by the Spirit. Throughout Scripture, there's this contrast between spirit and flesh, right? So if I'm trusting in my flesh, I'm trusting in uh, what my body can do, what my brain can do, what my own strength is, we would call that the flesh. It's this whole New Testament category that comes up again and again, trusting in the flesh doesn't just mean my skin, right? But it just means who I am. I trust in how smart I am, how strong I am, what I can do, what I can accomplish, my own resume. That's contrasted with trusting in the Spirit, right? Trusting in this God who works despite my weakness, right? And so he comes in and he says, depend on me with, with your flesh. Don't throw away your talents. Don't throw away your gifts, but walk in dependence on me. He says this in verse 18, and he says, What's going to happen is if you trust in your flesh, you're, you're going to want to numb out, right? Because the days are evil. Because life is that hard, you can only go so far with your flesh, and then you're going to hit a breaking point. And so this is the way he describes in verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So he says what's going to happen is you're going to be tempted to then numb out and self-medicate and just try to escape because world is so messed up, right? Even those of us that are most successful, you can only get so far with your own strength, and then you're going to run into the evil and the unjust uh, things that come from the outside, right? Even if you're doing all your business right, someone else is going to come in and ruin it, and then you're just going to want to give up, or you're going to want to retreat, or you're going to want to numb out in some other way. He says, don't numb out. Don't retreat. Don't be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. Literally, this word debauchery is kind of like this a combination of words that means there's, there's like no healing there, there's no salvation there, no wholeness there. It's uh, used most often to have this kind of concept of just mindlessness, right? Uh, so debauchery would be a word associated with wild partying, right? Um, you just kind of go nuts. You're like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to go nuts. I'm going to just numb out, I'm going to party, I'm going to try to forget my troubles. It says, don't go there, but live in a productive way, right? That's not productive. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he lays out what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I, I would just um, stop here for a second and just define that uh, biblically, drinking is not a sin. Uh, Christians uh, differ on this. But biblically, it's not a sin to drink alcohol. It's not a sin to use medicine. It's not a, a sin uh, to use these things to help us or as a gift from God. What's a sin is drunkenness, right? So whether it's alcohol or whether it's even prescription medicines, if you're completely numb, if you're not able to be alert and to deal with reality, then that's, that, that's where the sin is, right? And I think, I think that'll make more sense as we go through this. Um, so I would just say, first of all, drinking's not a sin, but some people choose not to, right, because it's, it's dangerous. And the Bible has both of those views in it. If you look through the Bible, the Bible again and again warns people in leadership to be very careful with alcohol. 
right? It talks to priests and kings. It's like, avoid that, watch out for that, be careful with that. Um, but then the other views of alcohol in the Bible are it's, it's a gift from God. You know, wine gladdens the heart. It's this okay thing. And so biblically, the concept is use it with moderation, but be careful. It's dangerous, right? And for some people, they've gotten caught in that trap so much that they need to just not use it ever again, right? They just need to put it aside. Uh, for some people, it just means use it with moderation. But I would say as a community, we're, we're to respect each other, right? Some people are going to say, man, I'm not going to touch that stuff. And other people are going to say, well, I, I'm going to enjoy it in moderation, but we need to respect each other. The issue is drunkenness. The, the issue is numbing out and checking out of life. That's really where the rub is, and that's really what we need to avoid. And, and again, we, we can do that with anything, right? I mean, some of us are, are doing that with TV, right? Some of us are checking out with our job or with some unhealthy relationship or with Facebook or with the computer or with hobbies or with, you know, bad novels or whatever it might be, right? We, we numb out. We check out with all kinds of things. So he's saying don't be, don't be drunk, don't check out, but be filled with the Spirit. So what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Well, I think it's important to contrast the idea of um, sleepiness with alertness. So I have an illustration here of drunkenness for you. Uh, this is Dumbo. So, you know, fortunately, my kids didn't grow up with drunkenness. When I was a kid, my wife was a kid, we saw drunkenness firsthand. But uh, my kids haven't really grown up seeing that, so they understand it from the movie Dumbo. And, you know, in that movie, he sees pink elephants, um, which I don't know how accurate that really is, but he also has this, like, drowsy thing going on, right? You can see his eyelids coming down. And, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones points out he's a, a preacher from a previous generation in England who was actually a medical doctor, then became a preacher, and he really stressed in one of his sermons on Ephesians uh, that alcohol is a depressant. It's not a stimulant, right? And so what happens is because we numb out, we do crazy things when we're drunk, we kind of think of it as a party thing, right, as a stimulant, but it actually makes us less alert. It actually makes us less engaged with the world around us. And Lloyd-Jones contrasts that with walking by the Spirit. You know, he says walking by the Spirit actually stimulates our mind so that we're more engaged in the world. When we depend on the Spirit, we're, we're able to face the reality of our own pain, our own brokenness. We're not numbing out to it. We're not denying it, right? We're not just pretending that the hurt isn't there and that we haven't been hurt and we're not in pain, but we're dealing with it. We're making the most of the time. Uh, we're doing what God calls us to do in the moment despite the pain. And so I, need, I just want to stress that again, that we're, we're not trying to run away. We're not trying to go to sleep, but we're trying to be awake and engage the time because the days are evil. We've got to make the most of the time. So the first thing he tells us is that we should address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. See that in verse 19? This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We have this command, don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. And it's followed by all these participles, which are all these other verbs. They're basically like adjectival verbs, right? They're kind of descriptive verbs filling in the blank of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And so the rest of them are saying, uh, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's literally speak to one another. Um, so what it means to be filled with the Spirit and be alert in this time is that we would actually talk to each other, right? That's kind of what we talk about when we say, you know what, we want you to be a part of a community that's more intimate than just public worship. We, we want you to talk to each other. We want you to be engaged in relationships where you're meeting with another Christian for coffee or you're meeting in someone's living room for a small group and you're speaking God's truth to one another. Do you have that in your life? Do you have some place in your life where with other Christians you're speaking God's word? It says, 
uh, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And of course, there's that musical side of it as well that we pick up, and that's part of what we do in corporate worship. We're singing not just to God when we come in and sing. I mean, yeah, we're singing to God, and I think the last 20 years, the church has really emphasized that, that it's this very personal thing. We're singing to God. But in Colossians and in Ephesians, it says we sing to one another too, right? It's like the geese, they, they honk at each other to keep going, you know? Like, have you ever, you ever heard that? That's part of what they're doing, right? And that's kind of what we're doing here. We're trying to help each other fly in formation. We're singing to one another as well as singing to God. And then he clarifies also the, the to God part, right? Look at verse, uh, second part of verse 19, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So, like some of you don't really like music, right? I know some people, there's just this like awkwardness during the singing time and you don't really like being that expressive or you just don't like music or whatever it may be. And I just have to say, well, well, sorry, it's biblical, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like just part of what we're supposed to do as God's people. You, you don't have to like it or really be good at it, but God does call you from the heart to sing to him, right? So the distinction I would make is you, you may not be able to carry a tune or clap your hands. You know, you may have like the Steve Martin thing and you can't, can't do that. But you should sing from the heart. You should make melody to the Lord from your heart. Does that make sense? Like the fra- we like to use the phrase, make a joyful noise, right? God calls us to sing to him. You, we have to adore him. Another way to say it is it's not enough to believe right things about God. You have to love him too, right? It, it's an emotive thing. It's an emotional thing. You have to love him from the heart. And so I'm speaking to myself as well as to you. That, I, I, I tend to be that way. I'd rather kind of, you know, keep him at a distance and study about him in a book. But God calls me to, to praise him and to love him and to adore him as well. So God's growing me in that as we practice it. Again, as we do what he tells us to do, we understand him better. So sing and make melody to the Lord from the heart. The other thing he says then in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So one more uh, fleshing out of it, what it means to walk by the Spirit is giving thanks in everything. Giving thanks in everything. That's like the hardest thing to do and one of the most beautiful things to do in our Christian life, right? It's the hardest thing when, when you're in the middle of, of terrible pain or you've been hurt or abused, or you're just going through something horrendous, you're sick, you're losing someone you love, someone's dying, you're dying, whatever it may be. When we go through these terrible things, we can still know that He's with us, Right? Our memory verses for February are in Philippians 4 where it says rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known to all for the Lord is at hand. Knowing, knowing he's there, he's there with you even in the worst of things. And God supernaturally, by his spirit, gives us the ability to give thanks to him in all circumstances, even when the circumstances are just bad, when they're really bad. And he grows us through those times. He, he begins to transform us as we go through that. A couple of resources I'd recommend. One is a book a lot of people have really enjoyed the last few years called 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. Um, it's written in a kind of a strange poetic style, so I'll just warn you. It's kind of hard to read sometimes, but a lot of people uh, really love it and have really learned a lot about what it means to give thanks in all circumstances. It's another book I'd recommend that we just finished a class on, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Another book that helps you understand what that looks like to to walk in communion with him, to really believe he's your daddy and he loves you even when you're in these terrible circumstances. You can talk to him and give thanks to him through them. And then the last part is submitting to one another. 
So verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's going to be now unfolded in the next couple of weeks. But it actually changes how we live in community. So walking by the Spirit changes our view of God and it changes our view of each other. Because Christ submitted himself to death for us, that he gave himself up to become one of us and to die in our place, then we can give ourselves up for each other, right? We don't have to demand our rights any longer in community, but we can submit to one another. So he tells us the days are evil, so redeem the time, right? Make the most use of the time. Walk carefully by redeeming the time. Walk carefully by understanding what God says about himself, who he is, what he says in his word. And then walk carefully by being filled with the Spirit, depending on him. That's going to change the way that we live. Let me pray for us. God, we pray that you would teach us what this really means in our daily life. God, we've heard the words. We've, we've looked at your instructions. Help us to obey. Help us to live in this new way. Help us to walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.